Hey, thanks so much for checking out Crossview Church Sermons and listening to this podcast. Every week you can expect a message that strengthens your faith and encourages you in your walk with God. You're about to hear a message from our lead pastor, Chris Dirksen. Anyway, we're in this new series on doubt. And last week I introduced to you some of the different kinds of doubt. Doubt is this common experience to all of us as human beings. We experience doubt in our everyday lives. It's not just doubt about our faith. That is a big area where people experience doubt, as I just talked about with many young people leaving their faith. But there's all kinds of areas as human beings, doubt is a very natural experience in our lives. We have doubt about which choice to make, whether it be a menu or a new job or whatever it is. We have doubt about people. Who can we trust? We have doubts about God, particularly when we go through suffering. Can we trust God? Is he good? Does he answer prayers? We have doubts about what we believe. People, many, many Christians struggle with doubts about their salvation. And as well, a big doubt that people often deal with is self-doubt. And so we're going through and looking at some of these doubts through this series. Hopefully we'll cover all of these at some point in the series. Today in part two... I want to talk about self-doubt, all right? Self-doubt. Here's a definition for self-doubt. Self-doubt is a lack of faith in oneself, a feeling of doubt or uncertainty about one's abilities, actions, worth, and value, etc., etc. Very common experience that we as human beings feel. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can pull this off. I don't know if I'm smart enough. I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'm capable of being a mom or a dad. In my case, I can't be a mom. But I I don't know if I can be a a dad. I don't know if I can be a grandparent. And on and on and on. Self-doubt is a very common human experience. Now, of course, a little bit of self-doubt is actually a good thing, right? To have no self-doubt would make you basically an arrogant psychopath, all right? And uh, a little bit of self-doubt is a good thing. I'll never forget some time ago, this is probably a, a year or two ago already, but uh, my wife, Ladon, sent me to the grocery store to get raisins for baking. And a little self-doubt in this case would have been a good thing. Because she said, get raisins, and I'm like, oh, I know, like my favorite kind of raisins are, you know, those little sun-made, those little individual boxes of sun-made raisins. And I was actually glad she asked me to go for the raisins, because I'm like, I'm not getting any of these no-name yellow bag uh, you know, packs of raisins, I'm getting sun-made raisins. So I went and I got a package filled with individual boxes of, of, <laughs> of these sun-made raisins, you know, the really good ones. And you guys are all laughing at the time. I, no self-doubt crossed my mind. I knew what I was doing. And I brought them home and she said, what is this? <laughs> How am I going to bake with this? Right, I'm going to pour out individual little packets of five and six raisins into what I'm making. You're supposed to get... Oh, I get it. So actually, a little bit of self-doubt from time to time is a good thing. It makes us so that we learn, so we ask questions. We need to have some self-doubt. But on the other hand, many of us at various times in our lives experience debilitating levels of self-doubt that paralyze us that causes great amounts of anxiety and fear. And there's actually a number of stories in the Bible where characters in Scripture struggle with this thing of self-doubt. And the story I want to look at today has to do with Moses because Moses 
repeated differently, different places in his life and in the story in the Bible, really struggles with self-doubt. We're just going to look at one example where Moses struggles with self-doubt. And we're going to go to Exodus chapter 3, and, and Moses is in his shepherding phase. Right? So he had different phases in his life, where he's a leader, where he's growing up in Egypt, where he's a shepherd in the desert in Midian. So this is Moses in his shepherd phase. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So he's, he's a shepherd. He's out in the wilderness, all right? What happens next? Well, many of you will know, right? This is the famous burning bush story. So there, he's just in a, one day he gets up for work. He's leading the sheep. They're at, the mount, they're at Mount Horeb. And he sees, so there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. So he sees a bush. And it's burning. Okay? So he decides to walk over to this bush. And Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So of course, any of us probably would walk over to that bush as well. Right? So you're in the desert. You got a bunch of sheep. You walk, you see this bush burning, but it doesn't burn up. You walk over. So Moses thought I would go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And of course, then in this famous, famous story, God's going to speak to him out of this burning bush. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. All right? And God's got big news for him coming from out of this bush. And he's got this big rescue message. So God's like, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. So God says, I'm coming down. Your people, the Israelites, have been in bondage for a long time in, in Egypt, and I am coming down to rescue them. Now, at this point, Moses is going, yeah, this sounds amazing. I love that you, right, notice all over here, I, 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 I. God says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to res uh, rescue the Israelites. And Moses is no doubt, yes, this is great. I love this idea. This is amazing. And then God says, now go, I am sending you. And this is where Moses goes, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, God says, I am going to rescue the Israelites. And by the way, this is kind of a big job, right? I'm going to rescue the Israelites. I'm going to rescue thousands of people out of bondage to this superpower of Egypt. I, 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 I. It's kind of a God-sized thing, right? But then God says, so now go, I am sending you. All right, now at this point, Moses is going to have some problems. So Moses said to God, who am I that I should go? Like, God, you're obviously making a mistake here. The first part of this I get. You're the God of the universe. If anybody's going to rescue an entire nation of people out of slavery, that's kind of a God-sized thing. That's not, I don't know, God, if you've checked in with us puny human beings recently, I take care of sheep. Who am I? All right? Which, by the way, in this case, with this ask, is a perfectly acceptable thing to do. But we should actually just stop here for just a moment and because we just need to make a separate theological point that I think really matters for this message. And actually just for life in general. Because isn't this actually how God 
works most of the time. I'm not saying this is the only way God can work. God can do whatever he wants. But isn't this the way God usually works? He says, I'm going to do stuff. Now you go and do it. This is actually a deep theological point. Much of God's work actually happens through human action. And by the way, we know this through everyday human life. Isn't it true? When you get a headache, you pray, God, help me with my headache. And by the way, that's a very good thing to do. And then what you also do is you go to the medicine cabinet and you pull out the Tylenol and you pop one or two or three, depending on the severity. I'm not, by the way, that is not medical advice. (laughs) Whatever the back of the label says, that's all you ever do. But you pop your Tylenol, right? Why? You said, but you just prayed about it. Yeah, but that's, this is how God actually works. He works through human action. He made a universe with chemistry and biology and, and rules of science. And then he made scientists and doctors to experiment and make things like Tylenol. And part of his answer is that. That is God working in our lives. He works through us. If nobody goes to rescue the Israelites, yes, God says, I've got to do it. This is a God-sized thing. But if someone doesn't say yes to go there and do it, God's not going to work. You can pray before you go on a long trip in winter for safety in winter and, and as you drive, and you should. But guess what? People with winter tires on get more safe answers to prayer in winter than people who don't. Why? God works through human action. You say, but what about the prayer part? The prayer part is the part where Moses met God at the burning bush, and he gets the assignment, and he gets God's heart right? Prayer is where we meet God, and then from prayer we move out, and God's power begins to work through us. So anyway, back to this Moses story. Let me just look at my notes again here briefly, just to make sure I know where I'm going. And yes, so we go back to Moses. Anyway, Moses has self-doubt. Now again, this is kind of a unique situation. Not kind of. This is an absolutely unique situation. All right, it totally makes sense None of us has ever been asked to do something as big as go rescue thousands of people from bondage in, you know, the world superpower of your day and age. All right? It's perfectly reasonable that Moses would ask, who am I to do this? This is kind of a really big ask. All right? But having said that, and this is a unique story for sure, we can empathize with this experience and we're, we're actually going to see that Moses is going to get very human as he continues to refuse. As it continues to go on, he's going to get more and more into the human experience of self-doubt. But we can empathize with this feeling of who am I in our everyday lives, even if we don't get asked to do something this big. How many of us, like I said before, go through periods of life where we wonder, in fact, they, well, they've done statistics, so we know that it's a big chunk of us, They've actually done a number of studies have been done, and different studies find different numbers, but somewhere between 70 to 80, low 80s percent of people at some point in their work life experience serious feelings of self-doubt and anxiety, where they feel, I'm not smart enough to pull off this role. Uh, I'm I'm not talented enough. I'm not a good enough leader. I'm too old. I'm not good enough at communicating. Somewhere, you know, around three-quarters of us at some point in our work lives 
feel like, I don't think I can do this. In fact, we feel it to, well, I'm going to actually get away from that. If we go back to Moses, he's going to continue, he's going to continue to refuse. So the first refusal we get, it's a big ask. But as he continues to refuse, you're going to see that it's not even about the size of the ask. It's going to become more and more about Moses and his feeling of lack. If we go to his last refusal, Moses' final refusal in Exodus 4. Four times he's going to refuse God in this conversation in Exodus 3 and 4. Four times. And again, remember, I know, totally I get God's asking him to do something big. But also remember, God's given him kind of a spectacular experience. How many of us would have the guts to say no to God four times if we're standing in front of a bush that's burning and there's a big voice speaking to us out of it? So he's getting a big ask. He's also getting a big sign. But he refuses again, 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 again. And he finally gets to this and he says, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent. So I want you to notice again, this is, now we're getting into classic human self-doubt. I don't have the ability. Not smart enough, not good enough, not a good enough communicator. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Now because of this passage, many Christians, we just take this at face value. Okay, Moses said he's not a good communicator. Moses said he's not a good leader. That means Moses isn't a good communicator, a good leader. But do you know there's actually the other passages in the Bible directly contradict this passage? In fact, sometimes atheists, when they make up lists of, of contradictions in the Bible, this is one of the contradictions they make that, that they point out. And I'm going to take you to the New Testament. I want to show you a verse that says exactly the opposite about Moses is what we see here in Exodus. Would you like to see that? Yeah, some of you would like to see it. Okay, good. The rest of you... Continue sleeping. <laughs> Acts chapter 7. Stephen is preaching a message. He's about to become the first Christian martyr. And he's preaching a message to the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders in the Sanhedrin. And he has a point in his message about Moses. This is what he says about Moses. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. So he had a university degree. And he did well. And he was what? Powerful in what? And what? Okay, let's go back one verse. Moses says, and this is usually because of Exodus 4, this is usually how we Christians think about Moses. Oh, he had a stutter. That's what some people say the slow speech is. He wasn't a good leader. He wasn't a good communicator. Because Moses said about himself, I have never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Then in Acts, we actually have the exact opposite. Now again, like I said, some critics of the Bible point this out and they say, this is an absolute contradiction because Acts says he was powerful in speech and action. Now, if you want to know why this particular contradiction, and the Bible is messy, there's no question. There are things in the Bible that we don't have explanations for. We just have to admit that right up front. But in this case, I don't have a big problem with this one. And if you want to know why I don't have a big problem with it, it's because I don't think Exodus 4 is actually telling us the truth about who Moses is. This is Moses whining to God and telling God what he feels about himself. And by the way, I can show you lots of examples of this in Scripture where Bible characters who are feeling down and in the dumps say all kinds of crazy stuff that isn't true. 
And I think this is possibly one of them. Moses isn't actually as bad as he thinks he is. He says, I'm no good. I'm not a good enough leader. I'm not a good enough communicator. And God's rolling his eyes in the burning bush. I know I'm asking you to do something big here, Moses. But this is, as we see in Acts, actually other people saw something very different in Moses. Now, if I'm reading this correctly, and that's not a guarantee, as anybody who comes across you here knows regularly, doubt me. But if I'm reading this correctly, this is actually a fascinating couple of passages put together here, because modern psychologists actually have a word for this. When other people see you as a certain level of talent and ability and skills and character, and you see yourself down here, but other people see you up here, there's actually a, a modern psychological term for that. It's called imposter syndrome. So I'm going to throw this up. And maybe Moses had a little bit of imposter syndrome. I'm not a psychologist, and I don't know, didn't know, or don't know Moses personally. But here's what imposter syndrome is, right? Here's imposter syndrome. A psychological state in which people feel a level of self-doubt about their abilities and accomplishments that doesn't match up with reality and what other people know about them. So you think of yourself down here, when in reality, your actual talents and abilities are actually somewhere up here, but you just don't feel that. Now, there's many reasons for that. Some of us have been raised and, you know, in a Christian culture that thinks it's bad to have any kind of confidence in yourself. Like if you have any confidence in yourself, you're just proud and God's about to come against you because God's against the proud. That's what some people think. But this is imposter syndrome. Now, people with imposter syndrome struggle with tons of anxiety. You feel like a fraud. Whether you're at work or in your role as a parent or whatever it is that you feel imposter syndrome, you feel like it's only a matter of time before you get found out as a failure because you feel like a fake. Your business has maybe been successful, but you're just waiting because that's not the true you. You're not good enough to lead that business. You're not good enough to do that role. It's only a matter of time before they find out, other people find out, and that creates anxiety. You feel like a fraud. You feel like you're faking it. You feel like an imposter. And like I said before, somewhere between 70 and 80% of us feel this at some point in our lives. And we're going to look at some of the things biblically that we can do about this, but let's just look at how would you know? Because again, remember what I said before, a little bit of self-doubt is healthy. You don't want to be that person that thinks of yourself up here and everybody else thinks of you down here. Or that person who never asks for advice or help because you have zero self-doubt. But how would you know if it's the unhealthy kind where you're where your anxiety and fears about yourself are way below what reality is. Let me just give you kind of five quick potential things that might show that you have an unhealthy level of self-doubt. First one is this. Uh, you turn down good opportunities or are paralyzed by big decisions because of your fear of failure. Right now, Moses is trying to turn down what isn't really a good opportunity. It's just nuts. It's just so big. Right? So that's kind of a unique situation. But people with imposter syndrome, they think so lowly of themselves that they're actually afraid to try things because they're convinced they can't do them. Or they're paralyzed. Anytime there's a big decision in their life, it's like, oh, do I do this? I don't know if I can do it. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And they're just torn by big decisions. That might be a sign of unhealthy. There is healthy self-doubt. There's unhealthy self-doubt. Another way to possibly know if you are, have an unhealthy level of self-doubt, imposter syndrome, would be you constantly need reassurance and praise from other people. 
right? Because inside, you feel like, in reality, I'm a loser. You're afraid of this statement, I might be a loser, I might be a failure, I might be a nobody. And so you constantly are looking. You need other people to compliment you. You're reaching for it. You're fishing for it. You're looking for it. You need other people to do that constantly to try and push down this fear that you have that you're actually not good enough to pull it off. That might be a sign you have unhealthy self-doubt. Another possible sign is if you are crushed by any kind of negative feedback. See, a person with unhealthy self-doubt, the moment you get unhealthy, someone might just want to give you some constructive criticism. Hey, here's how you can grow. I mean, the Bible talks about that in Proverbs, right? About taking rebuke from a friend. They might have constructive feedback. We need to do this, or you didn't do a great job of this. Let's do this better. It's not meant to be personal at all. But you have a deep fear that I'm not good enough. You have a deep fear that I don't match up, that I actually shouldn't be in this position. So any kind of negative feedback, even if it's meant to help you, seems to confirm your deepest fears and crushes you. It just becomes personal. That might be a sign that you have unhealthy levels of self-doubt. Another one might be regular, ongoing anxiety about what others think about you. We all, at some point in our lives, go to bed at night wondering about this. Worried about something we said. Worried about something we did and what other people are going to think about it. But if this is you a lot of nights, if this is you many nights or most nights, you might have an unhealthy level of self-doubt. Fifth one could be perfectionism. Sometimes people with unhealthy levels of self-doubt, they're so afraid to make a mistake because a mistake will just confirm to them that in actuality, they're just a failure. A mistake might confirm to them what they fear, which is that I can't do this. I'm not good enough to do this. And so they become terrified of making a mistake because a mistake might confirm the thing they fear the most. So they become perfectionists, which, by the way, is super taxing on everybody around them, in their family and at work. Perfectionism might be a sign, might be a sign of unhealthy self-doubt. Now, this is where a lot of Christians, because we have, we love, we know humility is a good thing, we sometimes confuse self-doubt and humility. And we think anyone who has self-doubt is a humble person, because a humble person is someone who just thinks lowly of themselves. And that's not true, because the fact of the matter is, when you think too lowly of yourself you will actually come across and behave in ways that are selfish, not humble, serving, or generous. Did you know that? When your levels of self-doubt are so much that you just think of yourself down here and you're afraid that you're actually just a failure, the more you are in that, you're not actually humble. A humble person actually has the confidence to think about other people. A person that is filled with self-doubt, I'm going to show you this with Moses. A person who's filled with self-doubt and afraid that, they're actually, that they don't match up actually becomes very inward-focused. Uh, let's, let's go back to Moses in just a moment, and let's just look at this. So it starts out, and I already said, this is a unique situation. And actually, it's probably a good thing that the first time Moses refused, he says, like, who am I? Like, I can't do this. But I'm going to show you. This is throughout his four refusals. But I want you to notice, right from the beginning, what's the refusal about? It isn't about... 
What are the Israelites need? Never mind there's thousands of people in bondage who are desperate. It's not about what do they need. It's all about who am I? It's focused. This is the thing about self-doubt and anxiety and fear and these kinds of emotions. They are by definition, the way you are designed, they are protective mechanisms to keep you safe. When you feel them regularly, those emotions are the opposite of being other-centered. When you're regularly full of fear and anxiety, you will, by definition, be inward-focused because you're going to be self-protective. Never mind. Sure, Moses, you're right. The first time around, absolutely for sure, you've been asked to do something that is totally crazy and big. It makes sense that you would say, I don't think I can do this. But notice where that feeling is. It's not, wow, somebody should give this a try. Like, I mean, there's thousands of people who are in bondage who desperately need to be rescued. It's more focused when you become self-protective and fearful like that. You are more focused on what you can't do and your fear of failure than you are on the needs of the people around you. The fact is, someone needs to try and even fail to help these people, right? And so Moses continues this throughout his his four refusals. I'll just jump to to the last one. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, I, notice this again, I, he's not able to see, God's trying to get him past, I can't, to what do they need? These people are in desperate need. Moses, do you care enough to take a risk? Do you care enough to fall on your face? Do you care enough to put yourself out there? He can't think about them because I have never been eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. And that's why this is not humility Humility actually requires a certain level of confidence that I actually am confident enough to get my eyes off of myself and all the I can'ts and the I fears so I can think about someone else, which is why God actually gets mad. After this response, it says this, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. We think, oh, Moses is such a humble guy and God's getting frustrated. I actually care about these people. Somebody needs to do something. Because I'm not going to do it myself. That's the thing with God. I'm going to work through people. You're going to, some human beings got to do something in order for me to answer these people's prayers. And the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, and he finally, okay, I'm going to send Aaron. But he said, now, this is where this story a little bit differs from us in our lives. This is kind of a really big request that God really is going to do. So he finally just forces Moses. He says, I'm going to send your brother, and you are going to go. So this is Moses' final refusal, and God says, not accepted. Now, the thing is, in regular life with us, most of us don't get that. We can refuse and then just not do it. And most, the vast majority of the time, God will not force us to do it. Most of the time, he will not show up in a burning bush and yell at us and make us do it. So Moses, in the end, just has to do it anyway. But the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, you're going to do this now. Self-doubt is not humility when it gets to unhealthy levels. It is selfishness. So, I do appreciate that one of the elements, I mean, we could probably get into that whole thing. But I want to finish this sermon now with three practical things that I think we can do. But there's more than that. But... I appreciate actually that one of the things we could put on that practical list is 
Sometimes you just have to do it anyway. There's a lot of times in life where you're going to feel all kinds of self-doubt and you're going to feel all kinds of fear of failure, but guess what? You just have to do it anyway. Sometimes there is a place, and we talk about that often here at Crossview, you need to go and see a counselor, you need to get therapy. We help people do that here at Crossview all the time. They can't afford it. Come and talk to us. It's such a good thing that God has given to the, to the body of Christ. Sometimes... While you're doing that, you also just need to shove those feelings down and do the right thing. But here's three practical things we can do if you struggle with unhealthy amounts of self-doubt. One thing we need to do is embrace failure rather than avoiding it. Often this self-doubt ties into our deep fears of failure. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to do something wrong. I don't want to fail at something. And we need to see failure in a new light. Failing doesn't mean you're a failure. It means you're brave enough to take risks and really live your life. I want to show you, I'm going to show you this in a verse from Proverbs in just a second. But I want you to th just think about this for just a moment. If you want to never fail in your life, here's how you do it. Live in your basement and watch TV all the time and don't do anything. That's the only way to not fail is to never take a risk. Don't go, you, you, if you never want to, you know, sometimes as Christians, we judge people who get divorced. You don't want to think about divorced people is, but at least they tried. They got out there and they made a relationship and they tried. I'm not saying it's, this is great. I'm not saying we all gave the best that we could. But the fact of the matter is, the only way to not fail in this life is to never take a risk and never try anything. Just sit in your basement and watch TV. You know what the weird thing about that is? That would actually be the biggest failure of a life would be to sit in your basement and do nothing. Better to get out there and actually just try. Put yourself out there. Try to have a relationship. Try to do that job. Try to start a business. Just try. God didn't put you on this earth to do nothing. He also didn't put you on this earth to never make a mistake. Because if he had made you to never make a mistake, he would have made you differently than he made you. Because most of us are walking mistakes waiting to happen. So you know what the Proverbs say? The Proverbs say, a righteous man never falls. No, that is not what the Proverbs say. Though the righteous falls how many times? Now that's a magic number in the ancient world. It could be 7,000. It could be 7 million. Though the righteous fall seven times, over and over and over and over and over again. They rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. What sets apart the righteous in the book of Proverbs is not that they don't make mistakes, is not that they ever, never fail, that they never go bankrupt, that they never have a relationship go sour or need to see a counselor or make mistakes as parents. The sign of a righteous person is not that they never make mistakes, it's that they fall over and over and over again and they keep getting back up. That's how you live life well. Not by not live, living, but by getting up over and over and over again. So embrace failure rather than avoiding it. I think in 2024, what a sad year it would be, particularly for those of us who say we believe in Jesus. So we know everything turns out good in the end if none of us did anything that was hard enough that we would make a mistake. I feel like if you're not making some mistakes in your life, you're not living enough. 
Turn off the TV and get out there this week and this year and make a mistake, okay? That's from me. Second, embrace failure. Here's the second thing. Doubt your doubt. Doubt your doubt. Your feelings of, I can't do this. Your feelings of, I, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough leader. I can't do it. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to get hurt. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthwhile enough. You keep living as if these random thoughts that come into your head are the truth. At what point are you going to start doubting your doubt? At what point do you doubt these stupid thoughts that are in your head? Doubt your doubt. Grab hold of your humanness and how much God loves you. Let me give you a wonderful verse from Scripture. Wonderful verse from Scripture. Psalm 139. David says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Every single person here today, every human being who has ever been born is fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Okay, so let's move to God. Let's say you're here today and your self-doubt and, and your thoughts about yourself, your thoughts about yourself are so low, you're like, I'm not fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay, let's approach this from a different tack. Are you brave enough to say that God's not good at what he does? Are you brave enough to tell God, I actually think you make mistakes? Because here's what David says, speaking to God, your works are wonderful, I know that full well. Now you say, yeah, oh, I totally agree. God doesn't make mistakes. Uh, God, he knows what he's doing. God's amazing, blah, 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 blah. We say all these things about God. Who made you? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I want everybody here who has at least one hand to pull out one of your hands and just put it in front of you, okay? Can you do that? And just wiggle your fingers. I know. I see some of you are not doing it yet. Just, just do it, okay? I know. <laughs> it's hard. Just pull out a hand and just look at it. You have a hand. That's amazing. The fact that you can wiggle your fingers. Have you ever thought about it? You're not pressing a button to wiggle your fingers. You just make them wiggle. How does that happen? How, how does that happen? You think, and they do it. You know, you have 29 bones in your hand and over 30 muscles, hundreds. Again, look at your hand again. Just, just do it. I know some of you don't like your hand. Some of you don't like your hand, okay? But just do a little, like, you... It's actually amazing. You can do incredible stuff. You know how hard it is to make a robot hand that can do all the things your hand can do? Like, you can put your hand into your wife's purse and feel around. It's a nightmare. <laughs> but you can put it in there, and she says, "Hun, can you find my keys? Ah, no, that's not it. Oh, what the? What is That's the Kleenex. That's the lipstick. And you can feel in the dark without even looking at it. And you can pull out something. Hopefully, it is the thing that she needs or wants. <laughs> but you can put your hand in that dark space. You can find, you can root around. You can pull out the right thing. You don't crush it. You, don't, you can tell the difference between it. You know how incredible that is? Try and build a robot hand that can do that, what your hand can do. That's amazing. How is that? That's just your hand. Your brain right now, do you know all the things your brain is doing right now? 
your brain has somewhere close to 100 billion neurons in it. By the way, that number should just blow your minds right there, but has somewhere around 100 billion neurons. Each one of those neurons can make like a th up to 1,000 different connections. That's like 60 trillion different connections, potential thoughts, memories, and stuff that your brain can have. Your brain, if it's properly used, which many of us are not doing, but can hold up to 2.5 petabytes. Petabyte, no, not even a good joke, but just... That's 2.5 million gigabytes of information. Gigabytes. Your brain right now is monitoring and controlling, without you even thinking about it, it's monitoring and controlling your heart rate, your breathing rate, it's, it's monitoring your digestive system, your respiratory system. It's funneling through all kinds of sensory data. You, you, right now, you're sitting on a pew, there's feelings associated with that, but you're not thinking of those feelings, you're thinking about what I'm saying. You can hear a baby in the background, but you tune it out. <laughs> Particularly if your mother, it's like no problem, her brain just whoop, turns it off. <laughs> or maybe that's dad at nighttime, right? But whatever the case. And then allows you to focus your attention on some tall, skinny white guy who's talking to you from the Bible. How am I doing this? That's your brain. But you think that you're just a piece of trash. But you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Just the fact that you get to have this experience of being alive is amazing. Why would you want to waste that? Why would you want to waste that by not taking risks? By not caring about the people around you? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are worthwhile. You are valuable to Jesus and to the people who love you. And you should be valuable to yourself. So here's the final thing where we'll just sit for 60 seconds. Are you, am I, are we, am I struggling with unhealthy self-doubt? Why don't you take a moment. I'm going to give you 60 seconds before we go back to regular life and texts and social media and work and kids and duh, everything. Why don't you take this 60 seconds and let's think about where are you at? Am I struggling with unhealthy self-doubt? How would you know? You might want to ask yourself the question, do I constantly look for reassurance and affirmation from others? Is that you? Is that something you're wrestling with? Am I crushed by negative feedback? That might be hitting something deep inside you, your fears. Do I struggle with anxiety and perfectionism and what other people think about me? Do I regularly worry I can't do things? Do any of these feel true to you? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's just Quietly reflect. Thank you, Jesus. 
for putting regular guys like Moses in the Bible. Thank you for putting passages in like we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Father, some of us really struggle under this heavy yoke of anxiety and self-doubt and fear. I pray that by your spirit. Now, some of us actually need to take action this, this, this year. That might mean actually going to see a professional counselor or something like that to help us. Father, we ask for your spirit to help us walk in a new way, to start to doubt our doubt and to live more free with joy. It's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. It's part of who you've made us to be. Thank you, Jesus, for this group of people. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today and being part of what God is doing here at Crossview. A special thanks to those that are giving generously to this ministry. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you enjoyed the sermon, why don't you subscribe to the platform you're listening to right now and let us know that you're listening by sharing and tagging us on social media. If you want to learn more about this ministry in our church, you can visit us at crossviewchurch.ca.